Second Kings chapter seven. I want us to read verses one and two, and then I want to go back and and look, give a little history, a little background of what's going on here today. Second Kings seven one and two. Then Elisha said, "Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord: Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, in the gate of Samaria." Then a lord, this is like a servant of the king, a lord on whose the hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And, and he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. This is what we're going to talk about. That's that part of the scripture right there where there's the man of God who is Elisha. God had spoken to him and given him a prophecy that tomorrow by this time there's going to be plenty. There's going to be plenty of food for everyone. And it's going to sell very cheaply. And this man who was a servant of the king, who the king was Jehoram at this time, who was not a good king and not a godly king, he says if, if God would, he's very sarcastic, if, if God would make the windows of heaven open, might this thing be? And Elisha says, you know what, you're going to see it, but you're not going to eat of it. That was what was prophesied to him. So let me give you a quick background of what's happening in 2 Kings chapter 7. There was a famine in Israel. And it had been a sore, uh, terrible famine. And uh, Israel was besieged by King Benadad of Syria. So they're in a famine. And to make matters worse, the city is besieged or surrounded by the Syrian army under King Benadad. So people are starving to death. And let's look at just a little bit about what's going on there. At verse, look back at chapter 6 of 2 Kings, verse 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it. And an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver. And a fourth part of a calf of dove's dung was sold. For five pieces of silver. You know, these are things that people wouldn't normally eat. A donkey's head. This is not something that people would eat. It's not on the menu. Okay? But they were starving to death. There was a famine, and they were besieged and couldn't go in or out of the city, in and out of the city. So the people are starving. They're buying dove dung, buying it from people to eat it. Um, we're not going to read it, but there was uh, right after what we just read in chapter six. There was uh, a lady cries out to the king and says, help me, king. And king says, well, what can I do for you? And he says, well, yesterday about this time, a lady said to me, let's boil your son and eat him. And then the next day we'll boil my son and eat him. So we boiled my son yesterday and ate him. And today she hid her son and, and now we can't boil him and eat him. And the king's blaming God for this. The king blames God for this. He didn't know the Lord. He didn't walk with the Lord. It was a terrible situation. And the king's uh, blamed Elisha, the man of God, for that. And actually sent this servant that we read about in, cha in chapter 7. He, he sent him in chapter 6 to, to go spy him out and to kill him. To spy out Elisha and kill him. So that's, that's really the, the scenario of where we are. And I want us to look at this in, in verse 2 again. Chapter 7, verse 2. This is our, our text for today. The Lord on whose, then the Lord on whose hand the king leaned. This is the one that was, did not know God. The king didn't know God. 
He was sent to kill Elisha the day before. The king leaned and answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make the windows of heaven, make the windows in heaven, might this thing be? And Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thy eye, thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We're going to talk today about tasting and eating in a spiritual sense as opposed to just seeing it with our eyes. And this is what the man that God said to the doubter. You know that faith will always keep us from the things of God. I mean, unbelief will always keep us from the things of God. Uh, uh, faithlessness and doubt and unbelief will always keep us from obtaining what God has for us. Always. Every time. Even as a Christian. We may be born again and we doubt God for this and we doubt God for that. We're not going to receive what God has promised. It is by faith that we lay hold on the promises of God and we count those things as, they, as though they were. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness that he believed in God who calleth those things that are not as though they were. And the man of God, that, or the woman of God that believes God, we believe God to things that he has spoken in his word or spoken very clearly to our hearts. We believe him, though we have not seen them manifest yet. And they're so real that we lay hold upon them. That's what the, all those in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith they obtained. By faith they procured something. They got something. They lay hold on what God has promised. And so did Abraham. By faith, because he believed God, he became the father of many nations. By faith, because Sarah believed and counted him faithful who had promised, she received strength to conceive in her, in her late in life and when she was beyond the age and had a child, the child of the promise. And so unbelief will always keep us from obtaining the things of God. And this servant of the king, who was the doubter, and beyond a doubter, he was a mocker and a scoffer, uh, did not believe. And Elisha says, you know what? You're going to see it. He wasn't just speaking off the top of his head. He was the prophet of the Lord. He's saying, you're going to see it, but you're not going to eat thereof. So here's a famine, right? In the land of, of uh, Israel and in Samaria. And the city shut up and they're besieged. And God does a miracle. We don't really have time for, for the miracle. But God says, God put a fear in the Syrian army that night. And they fled. They thought they heard the sound of a host of army coming against them. And you know what they said? They said, oh, the Israelites have hired the Egyptians and the Hittites and so forth to come against us. And God made that Syrian army that was encamped around uh, Israel think that they heard or hear the sound of a mighty host coming against them. <coughs> And they actually fled and left everything. I mean, they fled and left everything. They got out of there and they didn't come back at this time. And so when they left, they left all their food. Because remember, they were encamped there. They had food and supplies. They had gold. They had silver. They had clothing. And there's these lepers that uh, go out. And these, there were four lepers in the city. And they say, if we just hang out here, we're going to die. We're starving to death. There's no food here. 
if we go out there, the enemy might kill us, but either way, we're just going to die. You know, maybe they'll take care of us. Maybe they'll take us and make us their servants and take care of us. But if we stay here, we're going to die. And so they snuck out or came, went out of the city when nobody else was. And when they get there, they find an empty tent of the Syrian army. And they looked left and right and didn't see anybody. They went in and they spoiled it. In other words, they took what was there. They took gold and silver and they ran back and hid it in their place. And they ate and they did it to another tent. Went back out and came back and they said, this isn't a good thing. We've got to share this with the rest of the people. If we hang out here, some, something bad's going to happen to us. So they went back and told the news and everybody rushed out that was starving to death and been besieged. And they spoiled, they took everything of the, of the plenty that was there. And so it says in verses 16 and 17, and the people went out, chapter 7, and the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. And the people trode upon him in the gate and he died as the man of God had said who spake when the king came down to him. So there it was fulfilled, right? It was fulfilled. How could that possibly happen? One, one minute you're literally starving to death. You're paying for dove dung to eat. They've resorted to cannibalizing their own children and eating them. And, and Elisha says, tomorrow at this time, you're going to buy food. Cheap, cheap, cheap. And he's the man of God. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. God had his plan. God had it figured out. Elisha trusted it was going to be that way. This man did not. And he says, if God made windows in heaven, this ain't going to happen. And Elisha says, you'll see it, but you're not going to eat of it. And I thought, how many things in life whether it's a lost person knowing about the Lord or even a saved person not walking in all the promises of God. How often we might see and hear about it, but we don't get to partake of it. If so be that you have tasted, Peter says to the believers, that the Lord is gracious. You know what the word taste means? Taste means if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, it means to eat, to experience. So keep this in mind, kind of as our thought and our theme for this morning, the, the difference between merely seeing something of God, being a spectator and seeing it go on, and actually being our, a partaker to experience it ourselves. There's a world of difference. Amen? There's a world of difference. If so be you have tasted that the Lord has gra- is gracious. You know, God's grace, it says in Titus chapter 2, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. But are all men saved? No, they're not. But God's grace has appeared to them. They haven't tasted that the Lord is gracious. They haven't eaten. You know how Jesus said, He that doesn't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He wasn't talking literally. He was talking about experientially by faith. That we are to experience Christ. To know the Lord. It's not enough to stand at a distance and watch the whole account of the crucifixion. We have to be born again. Uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to be saved and to experience it. The same way that the Bible says in Hebrews 10, uh, 2, you don't have to turn there, but it says Jesus tasted death for every man. He tasted death for
for every man. What does that mean that he did? He just had a little nibble of it? No, he experienced death for all men. He tasted death for all men. He went there first for us. And he tasted death or experienced it for all men. And so I want to talk today about a longing for the Lord and actually cultivating a longing for the Lord to where we we're not content to simply sit on the sidelines. And I'm speaking to believers for the most part here this morning. Talking to people that are born again for the most part. But God would still have us to cultivate a holy hunger, a holy longing for the Lord, for the living God. The one true living God, the God of this Bible right here. When I pick up the Bible and I read account just like we read in 2 Kings 7 about what the Lord did for a whole nation and turned the whole nation around. If you read, read, read a little further in 2 Kings, the Assyrians in Hezekiah's day had come and, and besieged the city of Judah. Where, where Judah in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah cries out to the, the Lord and says, these, these enemies, are they're blaspheming you, God. They're saying you can't deliver us. And he goes up to the temple by himself and, and calls on the Lord. And Isaiah says, uh, God speaks to Isaiah and, and says, Isaiah, you go tell the king. It's going to be all right. I've heard your prayer. And the next that night, God sent uh, smote. The Bible says he smote 182,000 Assyrian soldiers that had camped around the city, every one of them. And when they woke up in the morning and woke the sleep out of their eyes in the city and looked out, the whole host was dead. Now, how does that happen? Well, that's the God that we serve. And God wants us to have a holy hunger for that God. Not just to be content to say, I'm born again, when I die, I'm going to heaven. And I think so many people are content in that. But God wants us to experience. He wants us to taste and see and to eat thereof. That God would transform our hearts and minds and our affections and our desires through we have a holy longing that I'm not content just to read about the miracles. I'm ready to see the miracles, God. I'm not content to hear about uh, praying Hyde's prayer life and Robert McShane's uh, praying prayer life or D.L. Moody's soul winning. I want to be a soul winner. I'm, I want to have an experience with you like that and to experience you like, like that. And, you know, we read about the miracles. I know we teach uh, those that teach the children teaching a lot of times probably about miracles of the Lord. But God wants us to cultivate. He's more than willing to give it to us. But to long for that. To long for eating, a taste and experience in a deeper life in the Lord. Not to be content to observe from a distance the power of the Lord and the miracles of the Lord and the resurrected life. In other words, the Lord's doing something great over, the, over there. Or the Lord did something great in Hezekiah's day or in Elisha's day. It's really something how, uh, you know, Elijah called down fire from heaven and, and all those prophets of Baal were killed. That's really something how, how Elisha raised the Shunammite woman's uh, son from the dead. That's really something. But God wants us to long for that in our day. Because he says, I'm the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I firmly believe, and it's a conviction, I'm pointing my finger at myself, I firmly believe 
that the Lord is desiring a people that would believe Him like that. He is is wanting us to try me, test me, put me to the test. Try me and see. Give unto me the tithes, He said in the Old Testament, Malachi, and see if I won't pour you out a blessing that you won't be able to contain. But we, we hedge it a little bit. We hold back a little bit. Whether it, whatever, whether it's our giving of our finances. Well, this is a tough time right now. I can't give right now. I believe you though, Lord. But you understand. No, He doesn't understand. He wants us to trust Him. Whether it's giving of our finances or whatever it is that we would give and then see if He won't pour out upon us a blessing that we would not be able to contain. I want to have blessings that I can't contain. That spills over to lost people in Albertsons. You understand what I'm saying? The blessings and the reality of this God. And if I see somebody sick, to be able to pray for them and lay my hands on them and they're healed. That is the God that we speak of. And He says, these signs shall follow them that believe. In My name, they'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And the Lord went with them, working everywhere, uh, working signs and wonders as they went out in His name. And all these things were fulfilled. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants His people to have a holy longing for Him. That, that we would desire this personally. He's a personal Savior. Amen? That He's not just... I read about Abraham and Isaac or Jacob or Moses or Joshua or Paul and Peter and Jesus and so forth in the Bible. But... He wants us to press on in Christ to experience these things and not be content simply to read about the accounts in the Bible. And we need to read about the accounts in the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm not saying stop telling the stories and reading the Scriptures and praying and things like that and studying the Word. I'm saying that all of that ought to create in us a desire to actually experience that. That God would work it in us and He would work His miracles through us. The Bible says that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. The only treasure in my life and in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and the person of the Holy Spirit. That is our treasure in a plain old earthen vessel. Nothing fancy about the earthen vessel. But we have a treasure in the earthen vessel. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And God wants us to believe Him for miracles and for big things and in personally in our lives and in our day and in this day in which we live and not look at everything as just historical. God did it. God did it uh, you know, in Evan Roberts' day. God did it in some point in the time past. But that God would give us the faith to believe Him and a hunger that we would pursue after the Lord and after the things of God until we've received that we wouldn't be content simply to observe from a distance. And I know I've shared this before. It's a silly little illustration, but it helps me. Sometimes silly illustrations help me. If we were grilling something back here, smoking something, barbecuing something back here, um, and we're out there, so let's say, throwing the baseball or football around, and Damien's over there on the back porch smoking something for us. We could look over there. We could see it. We might could see the big piece of whatever roast or whatever that's on the grill we could see the smoke we could see him cooking it 
sometimes the wind might blow the right way and we could smell it and we could might maybe get close enough to hear it sizzling on the on the grill but if only way to actually experience this is to eat it and we can't eat from a distance i can see it smell it watch it from a distance but if i'm going to eat of it and partake of it and taste of it then i have to be close I have to be hands-on. And so much of the Bible and I think Christianity and what we believe, and we believe it. If I was to say, do you believe that God can still do miracles today? You would say yes. And so would I. We believe these things, but so much of it, not all of it, but so much of it is still like it's out there. It's at a distance. We believe it in our minds. We go through the motions day to day. We're truly saved. We love the Lord and know the Lord. Every now and then, we'll, we'll see the hand of God in some way. Well, I'd say more than every now and then. We see the hand of God all the time. But those longings in our lives where, where we read the books. I read about uh, Willie Burton over in the Congo. And I read about D.L. Moody and his evangelism and soul winning. Just every single day, every day, sharing the Gospel with somebody. And I said, when's the last time I shared? Oh, it's been about a week now. You know what I mean? When's the last time I got to really pray with a sinner to get born again? Why is it so long in between these things? I believe and God does them, but why does it seem so rare and scarce? I don't believe it should be. And even the inward things like my intimacy with Christ, my prayer life where, where I feel like I'm caught up and I'm raptured with the Lord and, and a couple of hours passed and I didn't even realize it, but God was, I was so communing with the Lord in such intimacy that I didn't even realize it. Why is that so rare? And I believe that it has a lot to do with our longing or the lack of our longing for that. We say we want it. 15 minutes after this sermon is over, how many will even remember what, what the sermon was about this morning? I pray we do. I pray we do. Because I believe God wants to call us on. God would say to us, I believe this morning... Do you want to just see it all or do you want to eat of it? Do you want to just see it like you're watching on a movie? Maybe even be brought to tears because it moved you so much? Or do you want to experience it, the fullness of God, the reality of God? We talk about a resurrected life. You know what that is? That's a resurrected life. That's a life that tasted death and has risen. It's Christ's life in us. Do you want to hear about it and dissect it under a microscope? Or do you want a taste of it and experience it and walk in that Holy Ghost power? I want to walk in it. But I'll be honest with you, I'm ashamed at my lack of wanting it. I want it. But I'm ashamed at how little I want it in comparison to how great the reward is. I'm talking about this morning cultivating a holy longing. The Lord would say, are you content merely to sit on the outside and watch, to observe, to hear, to read about? And we need to watch and observe and read about and read the Scriptures. But are you content there? Or do you, you long to experience the life that I have for you? I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to born-again people. Do you really want to experience the life that I have for you? Or are you content to be a spectator? Because the Lord came that we wouldn't be just spectators. We're not watching a ball game. 
We're not even just in the stadium somewhere firsthand watching it. We are partakers of His divine nature. We're sons and daughters of God. We're ambassadors for Christ. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're soldiers for the Lord. For as He is, so are we in this world. He lives in us. He loves through us. Like we talked about in the Good Samaritan parable at Sunday school. He has to. He has to do that through us. Or we have never loved like that. It has to be experiential. And that's what we're talking about. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Do you just know about His grace? Or do you know Him and His grace? Are you a recipient of that grace and are thankful for the grace and your life has been changed by the grace of God? Do you know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or have you been endued with power from on high that out of your belly flows rivers of living water and that the place where you are is shaken and we're all filled with the Holy Ghost and we're able to say it's not by might nor by power but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The Lord has made a way for us not to merely be spectators. The way is through the veil of His flesh through the Lord Jesus Christ by the new and living way. The fact that He did experience and taste death for all men. If we put our trust in Him, His death is our death and His life, resurrection life is our life. And He wants us to not be spectators, not observers from a distance. All the Pharisees saw from a distance. They watched Jesus do miracles. The one that really gets me is they watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and, in me, and he came forth in his burial clothes. Jesus says, loose him and let him go. And he that was bound came forth and was living. And immediately it says the Pharisees went and took counsel that they might kill Jesus. That's an evil heart of unbelief. God's made a way for us to not only see it, but to taste it, taste and experience. If so be that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Are we content to read about an abundant life that Jesus said the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they might have life? And what kind of life? To have it more abundantly. Abundant life. You know what? The, I'm going to give you the definition of abundant. You probably know it, and it's just what you think it means. But this is the life that Jesus came to give us. Abundant means <clears throat> beyond superior, excessive, beyond measure. means you can't measure it. Super abundantly. That's the actual definition. When Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Well, I have the life of Christ. I'm born again. I've trusted in the Lord as my Savior. I know He lives inside of me. But are you and am I experiencing life abundantly? Abundant life that is beyond measure. Super abundantly, excessive. Our desire, our Savior desires and intends for everyone that He redeems by His own blood that puts their trust in Him to live an abundant life. I've come that you might have life. We get that. That you might have it more abundantly. And eternal. We, we believe the eternal life that we're saved through Christ. But in this life, do we live an abundant life? Do I live... But, an abundant life. The Lord desires it. A question for myself and for us as a body this morning at Cornerstone. The Lord desires it for us. The question is, do we desire it? Do we desire it? The Bible says as newborn babes, speaking of Christians, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. 
Desire means to crave, long for. Do we crave and long for the Word of God, the things of God, the Lord Himself? Do we long for that? Believers are certainly to be content. I've heard in the last few weeks about contentment, right? Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things. But I think there's a discontent a believer is to have as well. And, and you've got to hear me out this. We, we are to be content in every state, every circumstance, every situation, every lot in life that we find ourselves in. Poverty, riches, sickness, health, whatever it may be, by ourselves, with a lot of family. We need to be content in Christ in all of those. But there is a discontent that I see in the Scriptures as well. And I see with every man and woman of God that goes on with the Lord to have that kind of life that we admire and read about. And that is a discontent. I would call it a holy discontent in the sense that it's a holy hunger and thirst for the Lord. If I'm hungering and thirsting, then I'm not content right now. I need something to satisfy me. And the only one that can satisfy is the Lord. I believe that's the only kind of discontent that a believer should have is a longing for more of Jesus Christ. More of His life, more of His power, more of His peace, more of His joy, more of His Christ-likeness in my life. Uh, more of uh, a witness that my life would be for the Lord to lost people and to save people. More wisdom, more of what the Lord has for me. Always a longing for that. If we ever get someplace where we're just now satisfied, then there's no more hungering after God. I believe that we're in trouble. I'm not saying we're in trouble not going to heaven. I believe that's a place where we need to be stirred up again. We need to be pressed on. There's never a place where we just rest spiritually. That's what I'm talking about. We're content in what God has given us and who He's made me in and my health and things like that. I can be content with where God has put me. But to, to be content and say, oh, I don't need any more of Jesus. My prayer life is just fine. You know, my, my witness in light, oh, that's just perfect and great. I have no desire for more of anything that this Word talks about for the children of God. That would be a, not a good place to be. As the heart penneth after the water brooks. And so there has to be a holy discontent. I want you to, to look in your Bibles with me at Philippians chapter 3. We're talking about a longing for the Lord for more of the Lord, to experience the things we read about and hear about and we've heard about for all of our saved lives. Look at the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. We'll read verse 8 and then we'll skip down. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for what? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. And I know that you know it. I know that you're very familiar with this passage. But just keep in mind, he was saved at this time. He was filled with the Holy Spirit at this time. He was the apostle to the Gentiles at this time. God had used him to do incredible miracles at this time. He had walked with the Lord for a long time. He had established this church. The Lord had used him to establish this church at Philippi that he's writing to. And he's saying, I still want to win Christ. I want to win Christ. People say, oh, it's all he's just that's just pursuing after God. You're just trying it in your flesh and you're no, he's not. He's pursuing him by faith. He's pursuing him by faith. Verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize. He's already saying, 
He's already assured of heaven. He's already sealed by the Holy Ghost and given the earnest of the Spirit that he's going to heaven one day and he belongs to God. So what in the world are you doing spiritually, Paul? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, now he takes it from his own testimony. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, that means mature, be thus minded. Have the same mind that Paul is talking about here. And if anything, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. I would say God reveal it unto us. If I have, don't have that kind of mind that longs for the Lord to I'm literally pressing towards the mark for the prize, the high calling in God of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm content. I'll call it content, but it's probably laziness is what it is. Now, I'll call it contentment and say, oh, I'm just being content. But God wants you to hunger for Him. He wants you to hunger for Him more than you do. I'll just read these Scriptures though you know them. My soul, David said, thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And David was a man after God's heart. He's after something. He's after God's heart. There was a longing, although from a child, the first time we read about David as a shepherd boy, he's, he, God's using him to kill a, a bear and a, and a lion that attacked the sheep. And he's writing these psalms and playing his harp and worshiping God and killing a giant because he believed he knew the Lord. He walked with the Lord. And yet he's writing, my soul thirsts for God. That's a discontentment because he's saying, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Oh, I can't wait. When is that time where I'm going to come and sit before the Lord in His presence? It's just me and the Lord. Everything else, he was content if he had the kingdom. He was content when Absalom, his son, stole the kingdom and said, God wants to give it back to me. He was content in that sense. But the one thing he was not content in was where he was with the Lord. He was longing for the Lord. I'm going to stand here before you this morning and say I long for the Lord, but I'm ashamed of my lack of longing. Does that make sense? I do long for the Lord. But I want to long for Him far more than I do. And He wants us to. And He wants you to. It has nothing to do with how you feel. I'm tired today. Life's kind of crazy right now. Things are doubly busy right now. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with in your soul, in your heart of hearts, whatever the circumstance, whatever the timetable, do I long for the Lord like that? David says, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. If you've ever been extremely thirsty, I wonder how often we've even been in situations like that because we can grab anything to drink anytime we want it. Or extremely hungry where, where you, were, you were hungering for something. Not just, uh, you know, it's been four hours since breakfast. Like really hungry. And this is how he's describing He wasn't making up things. This is how he felt. This is, was the reality in his heart. He says, my soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longs for thee as in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. There, there are longings for God within the people that know the Lord that are greater than what we have now. God wants us to long for the Lord 
and I'm going to I'm going to bring start bringing this to a thought. You may say to yourself, and I may say to myself, honestly, you wouldn't say it out loud, probably. You might say to the Lord, Lord, I don't actually long for you like that. I do long for you. I love you. I don't long. You have to be honest with yourself. And I thank God for the honesty. But I believe the Lord would say to us in our honesty, if I said, Lord, I don't long for you like David. I straight up, I don't long for you like that. I believe the Lord would say to you and to me, do you want to long for me like that? Are you, be, are you willing to be made willing to long for me like that? Do you believe that I can give you such a longing and a desire for me like that? I believe that's what God would say to us. In our honesty, we'd say, Lord, I don't long for you like I should. In my honesty, Lord, I don't long for you. My thirsting for God, my flesh longing for the Lord like that. And God says, do you want to be that way, Randy? Church, do you want to be that way? Do you want your heart and your soul to long for me? Because I can do that in your life if you'll let me. Are you willing to have such a heart? And I can say this, and this really wasn't part of the message, that's costly. When you think about it, and you put God first, like we always talk about, and our longing is for Him before children or spouse or country or work or finances or comfort or my own self and my longings for Him and desire for Him are only for Him, it's going to be costly. The men and women that we read about, that we admire, we scratch our heads and I say, how was it? I heard stories of praying high that another man of God went to pray with him and had heard about praying high. That was his name. That's what they called him. And he went in the prayer closet or room to pray with this man. He says for the first 10 minutes, he didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. This man that's known for prayer. So this man of God goes to pray with him. First 10 minutes, he doesn't say anything. Then he noticed, he said, he said it had tears streaming down his face. Hadn't said a word yet. Then after like another 30 minutes, he says, oh God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I say, God, I'm, I'm not like that. God says, you want to be like that. Everybody doesn't want to be that way. I'm not like that. And the Lord says, do you want to be that way? I can make you that way. I can give you such a heart. He's not a respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll, he'll do for another. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. We don't ask for such a heart. We just kind of make a decision. Okay, I hunger for God this much. I'm, I'm okay with it. We ought to be ashamed at our lack of desire for this uncreated, holy God of love that loves us and has made Himself available to us. I'm making myself available to y'all and you won't even come. I've said, come right on in. Come into my arms. Come into my house. Come into my presence. Just sit with me. Come sit with me. 
Come be with me. I want to do miracles in you, for you, through you. I want to do all those things you read about. I want you to have a life like praying Hyatt had. Do we want it? He's made Himself available to us. And He wants to increase our longing for Him. I think so many are... There are different times in our lives, and maybe this morning, I pray is one of those times, but there are many times in the life of a believer where the believer is touched genuinely by the Lord. Talk to Christians. We're stirred. We feel the Lord stirring in our hearts, provoking us to something wonderful. We're moved by the Lord. We're stirred by the Lord. And a lot of times when that happens, the believer does not respond to that by faith. We're simply touched, stirred, moved and then the stirring and the moving and the touching kind of goes away and we go back to what we were before i believe with all my heart when the lord touches us and stirs us by faith we're to pursue him if he's stirring my heart to go share the gospel with my next door neighbor you know when i should go share the gospel with my next door neighbor really soon when i get an opportunity really soon Because I can promise you and I can tell you from experience personally, that feeling or that stirring will fade. And I'll forget that the Lord ever touched me. At the moment He stirred me, I I, I was ready. I was ready to go tell the world about Jesus. But that that can fade away. It doesn't have to fade away. I think if we'll respond to that, when He's stirring us, if He's stirring you to a deeper prayer life, then follow after God. If He's stirring you for a more intimate relationship with Himself, follow after the Lord. Because I promise you those stirrings can fade away. I'm not saying you're not saved anymore. I'm saying those stirrings, uh, they were real. They're not... You you might uh, mistakenly think, well, I can get that feeling back or that stirring back any time. Maybe you can't. Maybe you can't. Maybe they fade away. I can, I can get that back later. And we don't realize that what He was doing in my life today or this morning, that was in response to maybe months or years of praying. He stirred my heart, finally. You know, I've been praying for this longing. And He stirred my heart and I didn't respond when He did. Well, I'll just get that longing back again. And maybe it doesn't come so easily next time. Maybe our heart grows cold. Maybe our heart grows cold towards the Lord and to the things of God. We still love Jesus, but we don't, we're just going through the motions. We need to, to respond when the Lord is speaking to us. And I think many of the church don't. They're stirred. And I'm just going to give a, a few examples. Maybe at some point in the past, you longed for and totally believed God for with a childlike faith, which is a wonderful faith, by the way, you believe the Lord for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And you don't anymore. You might say you do. It still lines up with your theology. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But you personally are not pursuing after the Lord to be endued with power from on high anymore. Does it happen? And absolutely it happens. Can God rekindle that? Absolutely He can I'm simply saying when He speaks to us and is dealing with us and He's stirring us, that's, a, that's an answer to our prayer. Don't blow it off. It's, it's an answer to my prayer. If God leads you at the end of this sermon or before it's over to get to the altar, don't shove that under. Well, we've got some stuff to do right after church. I don't have time for that. 
If God's leading you to the altar, come to the altar. If nobody else comes to the altar, you come to the altar. You understand my point? That we, maybe at some time in the past you, you desired and believed God for a more intimate prayer life and, and communion with the Lord, and you don't anymore. That feelings and those stirrings kind of came and went, and we didn't respond. I would simply say, God, forgive me. You came to me. You spoke to me. You met with me. You were beginning to answer my prayers, and I did not respond. Don't abandon the hope of this, the whole picture of just a deeper life, fuller life. Everything, the life of power, everything that the Lord has for us. I personally get tired of just reading about it. And I love to read about it. And I'm going to keep reading about the Moody's and the, and the Tories and, the, and the, the other people like that. But I, I want to have that in my experience in my own life. And to experience these things of God. And God is kind enough and He allows us to do it. Some people are content just to look in like they're peeking in a open gate at a ball at a tiger stadium to see a little bit what's going on a lot of people are content just to sit right there and not to go in to the fullness of what the lord has god's calling us in all the way and i'm gonna close with this thought how tragic it would be for a child of the king and that's what we are right the bible says we're children of the kings he's made us kings and priests unto our god how tragic it is for a child of the Lord to miss out on the riches of this life because we just simply got lazy and ceased to long after it. We'll go to heaven one day when we die, and heaven will be heaven and it'll be wonderful. But in this life, not experiencing the fullness and the depth and the reality and the closeness and the intimacy and so forth with Christ that He has made available to us and as He desires for us and we miss out on it all through life and then we die, We never experienced it because we ceased longing for it and we didn't taste and see. We miss out. And sometimes sometimes you might be right on the brink. I think about that. Don't quit praying for revival for our country. We might be right on the brink of it. It might get darker, 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 darker. I've been praying, God, for light, for revival. Darker, darker, darker. Boom. Revival. Don't quit praying. Same for your walk with the Lord. A lot of times, how how tragic it would be to miss out on the very brink of it. Not miss out on heaven. Jesus has secured that for us. Missing out on all that God intends for us. It's so far beyond what any of us have experienced up until now. You ever read stories or heard about accounts I have of people that died in blizzards and they, they wandered out from their house to do something. They, they literally died 10 feet from their doorstep. They were lost in the blizzard. The sun comes up. The snow stops the next morning. They were 10 feet from the door. But they were lost. They didn't know where they were. They were so blinded in the blizzard. And they were 10 feet from safety and warmth and shelter and life and everything. And sometimes I think people give up right on the brink. I want to read a, a quote by, from Ross Perot of all people. It's not a spiritual quote, but we're going to tie it in. He says, Ross Perot is a very successful businessman. Most people give up when they're, they're about to achieve success. They quit on the one-yard line. They give up at the last minute of the game, one foot from a winning touchdown. 
And I think a lot of times believers are that way. We get disenchanted, disgruntled. I prayed that. I tried that. I prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I prayed that is it worth it or is it not worth it? Some people quit. If God has promised it, not only is it worth it, it is a reality. Faithful is He who promised thee who also will do it. And we don't want to quit on the verge of something. We look around and we got this many people in church. If God wants it to be next Sunday, we could have so many people, they have to, have to sit out there in the little kitchen area out there and we have to start making plans for a bigger building if that's what God wanted. You understand what I'm saying? We quit a lot of times right before, right before God's ready to bless. He's doing it. He's working things that we don't see and we don't understand His timing and how everything's working out. But he, in the things He's wanting to do individually in your life, I'm going to close with two Scriptures. Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see at thee. There, there was, through his whole trial, he had known the Lord to a degree, but after his trial, when God came and met with him personally and spoke to him, he experienced the Lord in a different way. I've heard about you, but now my eyes see at thee. There was deeper, there was more, and he was already a man of God before. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and the psalmist says, and we'll close with this scripture, and it's amazing that we sang this song this morning. Psalm 34, verse 8. D, you can come and the altars are open. I pray we'd respond. Psalm 34, 8 simply says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in Him. Taste and see. Taste and see. Don't just see. Don't just hear about accounts from other people. Don't even just hear accounts from the Word of God. Everything He speaks to us here is so that we come to know this, this God better. Personally, we come to know the Lord. And I encourage you as a body and individuals, whatever you've been believing God for, keep believing Him for. Whatever you've been seeking God for, continue to seek Him for. Wherever your level of desire and longing for the Lord is, whether it's, it's waxing strong or it's, it's shrieking up, come to these altars and ask God, I don't long for you like David did, but I want to. And I want to be made to want to. And trust God to give you these longings and these desires that we would pursue after the Lord in that way. The altars are open. I encourage you to come. Let's seek the Lord this morning. Father, we come before You. Oh God. God, I'm the first one. That's probably why You gave me this sermon. I'm the first one to say, Lord, I do not long for You like I should. I long for You. But it pales my desire pales in comparison to what it could be. Not even comparing myself to David or anyone else. My desire for you pales in comparison to what it should be. Pales in comparison to what it could be. I pray that you would forgive me, God. And I pray you would touch your people this morning. Touch my life. And create in us a holy hunger and a holy thirst for the living God. For more of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you.